0: Is this
1: a center for? now listening to the enter vr podcast i'm chris miranda your host and today i'm um today i'm speaking with alex chu alex is an interaction designer at um google daydream and he was also a former designer at uh, samsung's milk vr um alex thanks so much for joining me on the show yeah
0: hi chris thanks for having
1: me so man, man that's um those are quite the places you've been uh, been having the ability to, to work work at and um, can you tell me a bit about um, your journey into how you got started into virtual reality in the first place
0: yeah definitely I mean it it starts uh, ways back um, originally I've been sort of trained and practiced for a little bit as an architect um, and I think you know one of the things that really interested with me about architecture at the Time and this is like early two thousands um, was the way that uh, computers were really sort of changing the type of architecture that was being done. Um, so you started getting these programs that could handle like more advanced geometries, and um, and that enabled buildings to go from sort of these rectangular shapes to all of a sudden starting to be you know these like jagged uh, primitives or you know these curvy shapes that you would get in like a Frank Gehry building things like that. And I was really interested in in that type of technology, the visualization side of of architecture as well as sort of the computer-aided fabrication part of it. Uh, So that was one dimension. I think the other dimension that I was interested in was really coming at it from the video game standpoint. Um, So, you know, with architecture, it's cool because you can kind of design a building with an expectation of how people would interact with that space. Uh, With video games, you can really design, like, the entire environment, which I thought was really cool. And you can use that environment um, and sort of populate it yourself with a type of story uh, that you want to tell. Um, And so, for me, that really represented, like, a new type of architecture, which went beyond just, um, you know, like a brick-and-mortar building and into sort of, uh, you know, creating the entire environment, universe, uh, story, etc., um, so eventually, uh, you know, I decided to take that interest and, um, go from architecture to video games for a little bit. And I ended up attending a, a school, uh, or a program at SMU called, uh, Guildhall. And they're a video game development, sc- uh, program. They do like a master's and a certificate. Um, So I ended up actually studying, you know, video game development there. Um, It was great education. I got to know, like, a lot of people that were really passionate about games, but I think moving on from there, I was really interested in the way that, you know, uh, game technology and game insight could be applied to non-gaming applications. So from there, I went to uh, Halliburton, worked in their uh, technical software team, and then eventually made it to samsung um samsung i was working at the r&d lab and it it provided some amazing opportunities to work with uh super intelligent people with a lot of cutting-edge technology and uh one of the things that uh we started out working on was actually what ended up being the gear vr so we had had like a little bit of uh uh, you know prototyping and development on our, our version of the gear vr which was essentially just like uh you know, a 3D printed thing that you could drop a phone into, and you know it's it's everybody now kind of understands it, but at the time it was sort of new. And then it just so happens that uh, Oculus, also in Dallas, was um, looking at something similar with with Carmack leading that team. And so eventually, yeah, our two teams got together, and uh, I guess the rest is history. We came out with uh, the Gear VR. And, uh, one of the products that I worked on as a lead designer was Milk VR, which was Samsung's, uh, 360, um, their 360 video streaming service. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And, uh, yeah, eventually. So that kind of took off and I was, you know, getting a lot of momentum from working on that and decided to move to San Francisco with a friend of mine, uh, to do a startup called Vicarious, um. And we were essentially making something like Snapchat stories, um, but using three sixty media. Mm-hmm. Um we had kind of this cool app that like uh you know it you could create these little stories from, you know, picking a couple of different pieces of media, you could put a soundtrack over it, um, you know, add text and and I don't know, little doodads and things like that to the story. And then share it with your friends. Um that ended up lasting about three years and then we kind of ran out of money um but i was in san francisco and uh the opportunity presented itself and now i work at google daydream which is kind of an amazing plan b for you know failing a startup and then ending up there is like pretty okay in my in my book um
1: walk me walk me through the decision of like of like um saying to yourself all right we did vicarious enough this is you know like what was the calculation in your mind behind like all right do we keep pushing this startup vicarious or do i like you know span out and and go for uh for 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 daydream sort of collaboration or work like what is what yeah what was your calculus at that point like was there something happening in the industry that like were there signs in the industry that were indicating to you that like okay well it's time to pivot it's time to like think differently here or or it maybe i was too early like what was your your logic at that time
0: well i think you know ultimately the decision came down uh because we we literally ran out of money <laughs> like, <laughs> you know i had been like not paid for five months and it was just like all right well you know this has gone far enough um but i think you know in in kind of the final days uh of the company um you know we had several like ramp down strategies um one of the things that uh we didn't really know like when we started the company was you know this this product relies heavily on, on like, 360 cameras being adopted um, if we were going to make it sort of a true, like, UGC platform for 360 stories. Mm. That really didn't end up sort of panning out. Uh, um, People are still developing great 360 cameras, but they never hit mainstream uh, the way that we would have hoped. And so I think, you know, some of the things that we were doing in the last couple days were really... You know, trying to see, like, hey, is there some way that we can pivot this from being, you know, really about UGC to being more specific about, like, you know, can we catalog, like, a certain celebrity or somebody of interest, you know, a couple of different influencers maybe, um, and it's more of a broadcast model. So, like, they'd be creating content, and, you know, a wide group of people would be consuming it, but we wouldn't need everyone to be sort of a a content creator, um, they could be sort of more passive, um, so we tried that again. Kind of worked with an agency in LA, like didn't really pan out. We never really got sort of the caliber of person that we were looking for, um, and and that was basically sort of the last step. Like once we realized that that really wasn't panning out, I think eventually it was like okay, you know, we need to just move on.
1: So, mm. what would you do differently now if you were to start another VR startup? Today,
0: oh man! One of the biggest lessons we learned, I think, was uh, competition is like fierce for um, for hiring in the Bay Area. Mm. So, I think one of the big mistakes we did early on was trying to create a team. Um, so, we spent a lot of money, kind of you know, trying to recruit and then trying to build an in-house team, which, of course, like people. Rep- much higher salaries in san francisco and you know doing it all over again i think it would have extended our runway a ton if we had just done what we ended up doing which was contracting a company in um in canada to do some development uh stuff so i think that was a big mistake that we made that was kind of an amateur mistake um i think the other thing is uh my co-founder and i Really should have uh, split responsibilities a little bit better and started doing um, a lot of sort of the the sales and the relationships that, you know, we wanted to have at the end. We should have started like much earlier on. Um, and, you know, the way it ended up happening was it, it did eventually end up splitting where I was really in charge of the product and then my partner was doing sort of the BD side Um but i think if if we had split that like from the get go um it would have been good to start that that bd process like much earlier instead of just focusing which we did on just raising money um
1: yeah yeah, yeah it seems like um yeah it it seems like uh it's not easy to figure out like what marketing channel like exploit at the beginning <laughs> it's mm-hmm. it's like um yeah because you have minimal resources you have minimal data like yeah what data were you going off of to try to like make inferences on like the kinds of audiences you were going after like because that's the thing like if you were yeah if you were trying to start a youtube channel like you would go after like a certain demographic of people or interests and then and you can go out like but like i don't know like what was it what the market looked like at that point like what was the, what were the difficulties behind trying to get a, like a market started at that point
0: yeah that's a great question i mean you know who we were targeting and even the product that we were making changed quite a bit throughout the throughout the life cycle of this company i mean we started out kind of trying to make a uh like a fast tool so that people could um create like interactive vr content um and so if you think about it it's maybe a loose analogy would be something like Squarespace for, uh, VR, um, where that was really sort of geared more towards, uh, like publishers, um, or like more like high-end people. So, you know, uh, the New York times has uh, 360 content that they make, but they seem to be doing one-off apps each time. Like, wouldn't it be great if we could get them to use our platform where, You know, they can make this stuff themselves instead of having to rely on, like, a third-party company um, to build, like, a one-off app for them. Um, I think, you know, as we kept using this or developing this product, we realized that it was, like, well, it's kind of hard for not uh, expert designers to make good stuff if we give them sort of all of these uh, capabilities to, like, you know, add media, like, rotate it, resize it, like, put it wherever you want, things like that. I think slowly, since our goal was to get sort of mass adoption and get, like, big numbers, uh, we kind of tooled the project uh, over time to be more uh, user-friendly, like, for regular people to get in there and make something that was compelling, meant, you know, taking away some choices. Um, and eventually, yeah, we came up with a product that was like, okay, this is a great product for everyday users. Um and now we have to validate, like, within that um, within that group of people, like, which everyday users are retargeting. And so we ended up running, like, a bunch of um, tests, basically. Like, we had an intern that we sent to the mall, and it's like, hey, show this type of content to, like, different people, you know, see how it resonates. Um, I remember one of the clever things that we did was, like, just kind of put together, like, a an ad for Facebook um, where we... You know, it wasn't. It was just kind of like a fake ad. It had like a bunch of like different 360 cameras and oh. like a headset, and was like, "Hey, do you, are you interested in like 360?" Um, and basically, like Facebook gives you some really good tools to like target different groups. Um, so we could run that. Uh, we could run that ad across a number of different demographics, and then get feedback where it's like, "Oh, okay, it's it's you know this group of like 14 to 18 year olds, like." Um, you know, what kind of demographic breakdown are we getting? And it's like, oh, there's equal engagement from like, you know, uh, women who are interested in VR versus men who are interested in VR. And I think that type of activity really helped us sort of, um, get a good feel for, uh, you know, what people were interested in. And one of the biggest takeaways that we got that, you know, I wish more of the, uh, VR community would take into account is that You know, even things now that seem like kind of old news to people in VR, so like cardboard, um, you know, 360 media that you might be looking at on like a flat surface, like a a laptop or a phone, those things are still like really exciting to people who are like normal people, like not in tech. So just going around and showing people like, hey, this is what you can do with a cardboard – um, got people really excited. Um, at least you know, for the first couple of times that we showed them, like um, this still seems magical. So you know, I would tell people to just keep that in mind. I know that like a lot of the industry is like, you know, you get a little bit jaded when you keep doing like all these different experiences. and you know, after a little while, you're like, oh, if it doesn't have like, you know, uh, six, six tracking, uh with like super high resolution uh screen like i'm not gonna do do it um but you know i think if you're actually appealing to sort of like a wider audience um you know it's it's good to remember that it's like this thing is still impressive to i think to normal non-initiated vr users
1: what are what do you say to people when they ask you like uh alex what's the state of the vr industry right now what does it look like how do you respond to that
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think that it definitely sort of entered the trial of disillusionment. Mm. Um, I think there were a lot of promises and bets made early on that this was going to succeed within, you know, a year or two or be sort of like a really rapid adoption. Um, I'm still convinced that it is the future of computing. Um, And so that's kind of the message that I give people is like, hey, you know, It's amazing that this many people are getting into, you know, development and, like, you know, adding their sort of uh, time and energy into this type of production. And, you know, really it's like the technology does have, like, a ways to go before it can become that consumer product that you want. But the work has to start happening now um, and scale up to it. So, you know, I think it's like taking a little bit of of the polish off of the promises that were made. And becoming like a little more realistic about you know what to expect in the next like in the next year, in the next three years, you know, five years, ten years, et cetera. Um, but at the same time, I think it's still like a very strong technology that's you know holding like a lot of promise. Um, yeah, I also see kind of like a pivot towards um, some enterprise applications. It seems like okay, you know, VR is kind of coming to the conclusion that if you can't sell it to, like, a bunch of people, like, everyone, then you can start selling it to, like, targeted, um, you know, companies that can use sort of the power of VR in a more limited, like, uh, uh, cost-reducing way or service-improving way um, because they are more willing to sort of put up with, like, you know, bigger headsets or expensive equipment, things like that, as long as it provides some kind of return.
1: Yeah, I remember that it, it, it sort of uh, reminds me of that one deal that just got announced with Walmart and Striver, I think, where they're trying to do mm-hmm. like uh, employee training. I I remember I, I um I did a uh, when I got out of college I worked a little bit at, at the Banana Republic and I remember like at retail mm-hmm. and it was like and they showed me like the um the training video for like two hours. Sure. And I remember thinking to myself, "Oh my god, oh my god, this is time I'll never get back." I'll never get this mm-hmm. time back. And it was like, and I'm thinking to myself, like, yeah, I, I could put on a VR headset. <laughs> I Thinking about, like, some sort of simulation training or to, I, I, again, enhance engagement. And that's what VR is great at. It, it, it has a great enga- en- enhancing effect on engagement. And so, yeah, I feel like there's something there. But I wonder, I want to push further in terms, in terms of, like, what do, what do you think it will take for, for VR to get out of this trough of disillusionment? what 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 else needs to happen
0: i mean i think a lot of people have pointed it out but it's really uh the quality of content and then the form factor of the hmd so i think it's like uh, people are kind of figuring it out on both ends which i think is really promising but you need a headset that's lighter weight and more comfortable to wear for a long time um I think getting rid of cables is, like, a great step forward. Um, So being able to, like, maybe, like, mirror your PC or just um, make the headset, I guess, heavy-duty enough to handle what it needs to handle. Um, But then also, yeah, like, the experiences, you know, it's like um, you get to develop games and storytelling and then some of these, like, productivity things that are going to really become sort of killer apps. Um, I know people have been throwing that around forever, and I think uh, the closest thing that I can guess as to, like, being a killer app is kind of like Tilt Brush. Um, it was there from the start, and it's something that people use, and they keep finding new uses for it. So I think stuff like that is really promising. Um,
1: yeah. What, well, let me go back. Let me ask you a little bit more about, like, um, unless you had something else you wanted to add. Sorry for interrupting. No, I
0: think that's it. I mean, I think it would, uh, it would be a focus on uh, content and form factor
1: yeah i want to i want to go a little bit deeper into like your interaction designer experience and i want to know more about how did how when you at first walked into like the world of interaction design and vr like how did that feel different from what you were doing before so it actually
0: wasn't really that different um i think you know with an architectural education you're basically working on you know, the ultimate human input, <laughs> like design education, right? So you're creating spaces, you're designing like how people interact with those spaces. And I think that that training is some of what I was able to bring to VR design that's still sort of valuable uh, to a lot of companies now, um, where I'm seeing architects get more and more involved in, in VR because it is sort of similar to like the type of language that they're used to designing in. Um, so yeah when when I did milk VR which was one of the big um, early sort of uh, UI heavy uh, applications um, I you know leveraged some of the ideas about looking at ergonomics and you know how people can see and like the effect that this headset has on the input which was like basically just like a gaze and tap and like you know understanding the way that that people that their, their body, um, you know, function was put together, and understanding the way that space can, um, you know, aid in performing functions and, and programs. Uh, putting those two things together felt really familiar. So even going down to things like, you know, drawing three dimensional spaces and plan and section elevation, those are all tools that architects have had forever. But you know, two d uh, application design didn't really have until VR came around.
1: Mm. Yeah, I actually um, I wanted to go back just a second. You mentioned you mentioned that um, that Tilt Brush is the killer app, but I actually wanted to add that I I have a theory that I want to pass by you. Sure. And this theory is that like, um, so the theory goes. Um, that you can't disprove the following sentence, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> which is which is um, there is no experience out there that can't benefit from a so, uh, uh, no VR experience out there that can't benefit from like a uh, um, a social function. So when I think about it, I'm like Google Earth with VR would be amazing with another person in there. Tilt brush would be amazing with another person in there. It's one of mm-hmm. it's one of the reasons why I keep going back and back back and forth to like Rec Room and VR chat is because like there's people in there where I can where where the gov- where the environment takes in more meaning because there's mm-hmm. a different person there every time. And it's um and I think that you know, you guys are sitting on a gold mine <laughs> if you allowed for that Sort of interaction and experience and collaboration to happen, dude.
0: Dude, mm-hmm. you'll,
1: you won't let me. I'll yeah. I'll never. I'll never take off the headset. I'll always. Yeah. Will. Yeah. So, so I think you're definitely right. But like, I think you're, there's a there's a another element in there. And this is a thing. Like, I haven't I haven't encountered a VR app myself where I where I was like, you know what? I just want to experience this by myself. I don't want anyone else in here. No, mm-hmm. there's not a single, not a single one. It's, okay. it's Okay. Yeah. Have you have you do you is there is there an app out there that you're like, oh yeah, I could be here by myself or like or this wouldn't benefit from another person being in here?
0: I mean I think there's like the entire industry that nobody likes to talk about. (laughs) But it's like porn is probably better uh done on your own although i'm not sure maybe i'm just like (laughs)
1: about. oh my god that is the you i didn't even bring that up i didn't bring it so you know guys (laughs) i didn't bring up porn okay it wasn't me this time okay Uh, um, i'm pretty
0: sure you were alluding to something along those lines
1: but, (laughs) but um yeah even even then porn is more fun with other people i mean that's I think that's a preferential thing. All right, well, you said that one. one. I did say that. I did say that one. Um, All right,
0: but no, I totally agree with you. I mean, I think that that's that's actually, you know, probably one of the things that I should have added in in addition to, like, uh, you know, like form factor and content. Um, I think the social dimension is super powerful. It's one of those things that I actually really miss. Um, You know, back in the day, uh, co-op games were, like, physically co-op, you know, and I remember all the way back to like Contra playing that with my brother yes. and like, you know, through high school playing like a, uh, you know, perfect dark and like, you know, golden eye. And the fact that people were there and you could interact with them like naturally, you know, um, for me, it was like, you know, is, is a big positive that, you know, some of the multiplayer games now where it's like, everyone's kind of in their own space, like, like some different state or something like that. Um, Is sort of missing, and I think that that's one of the unique opportunities that VR has to, like, you know, you actually feel like you're there with someone doing something, um, as opposed to just sort of hearing their voice over, you know, something um, like a like a voice chat.
1: Yeah, I I want to run this 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 idea by you. That's another crazy idea, Um, and it's one of the one of the reasons why I got interested in VR in the first place was back in 2012 an IGN interviewer was asking John Carmack while he was holding up this taped up headset Oculus Rift headset at E3 June 2012 the IGN reporter asked Carmack so you got like Armadillo you got your space company you got like id you got the the, the video game company you got all these things going on like where are you working on this VR thing and then Carmack was like i think it's morally imperative that we create the metaverse and then the interview got cut off, and I didn't get this like satisfaction of like follow up. What do you mean? What does that mean, John Carmack? To create the like to create the metaverse is morally imperative. Like, dude, like those are some big words. And so mm-hmm. and so since 2012, like since that moment, I was like, okay, something. I want to know what's why he said that, <laughs> and I just started paying more and more attention to VR. That was like my my like my my opening of the door down the rabbit hole, so to speak. But, like, when you hear, you know, statements like that, like, what do you think? Like, is it morally imperative that we create the metaverse?
0: You know, I have very particular feelings about the metaverse.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I like to hear them.
0: I mean, you know, I grew up, like, a lot of people, huge fans of, like, William Gibson, Neil Stevenson, things like that. And I think, you know, the metaverse is, like, a really interesting concept because it's, like, oh, you know, you can build basically, like, whatever your heart desires, and share it with people like you know on a massive scale i think you know that's really interesting to me but i think what the actual metaverse is going to be is just like our regular universe but with layers you know on top of it so to me it's like you know seeing like a you know perfect ar you know like a world in which we have that sort of perfect ar where you put on your glasses and you can see all the different layers and you can see information about each other you can maybe blanket it out and go into vr and, and have these social experiences that to me is really what the metaverse is going to be so um instead of thinking of it, of it as sort of just like this magical like other place i i find it to be like much more optimistic to think that it's going to be like this place uh that we already sort of occupy um but just modified in a way in which like the, the virtual layers, you know, become much more ingrained with the real world. So,
1: yeah,
0: I don't know. That's, that's my take. I always, you know, saw that a lot of people, especially early on in VR, were really inspired by the concept of a metaverse. And, you know, I can see the, the benefits in in sort of being able to like have everyone sort of craft their own universe. But, uh, but at the same time, like, I'm really way more optimistic about, like, the social good that can be done when, you know, you spend a lot of that effort and energy into improving, like, our current universe. I don't know.
1: Yeah, and I wonder, do you, what is the the potential reach of VR in, in your mind? Like, what is, when when we say, all right, VR is going to become ubiquitous, and and I don't know. To what extent do you think that ubiquity is gonna is gonna be? I mean, this is no man's land speculation world, so so no answer is wrong. Um, but I wonder, like you know, how will VR and by VR do I mean like you know any mixed reality headset? Because AR and VR are gonna like merge. So I'm thinking, like, will will these HMDs become as ubiquitous as smartphones at all ever, or or is this or are we gonna? you know, be stuck to being our own niche, a big niche, but a a niche forever? What do you think?
0: Uh, You know, I always kind of trend a little pessimistic. So (laughs) for (laughs) anyone who knows me, I think they won't be surprised. But um, I do think that it's going to be niche for a really long time, um, if not forever. I mean, I think, you know, you can look, look at like, the way that technology is being sort of disseminated and adopted. And you know, things like smartphones for us, you know, have, you know, been, um, been basically adopted by everyone. But you also have like a lot of third world countries where the smartphones are just getting there um, and are being used since they're just getting there for lots of different things that, you know, uh, didn't really necessarily apply to our market. And I think VR is going to be like that, where it's like maybe we get to the point where like a lot of people have them maybe on the order of something like a console where it's, like, not for everyone and not, you know, in every household, but, you know, it still carries a lot of weight. But I do sort of put more stock into AR just because it seems to be more, you know, have potential for, like, being more useful for a wider audience. Um, especially once you start getting a form factor that, you know, is really kind of that idea version of, of AR glasses.
1: Let, let me ask you this: By the time AR headsets become that good, where like everyone is going to want one, like how hard would it be for them to also do like va- like VR? You know, because because I remember the casting VR, yeah. like they could they could. It, I remember they were like, they would say that there was just like a, a lens or there was a, a thing they they would put in, and it could go into VR mode. And it was like, oh, okay. So if it's that simple to go into VR mode, then the AR headsets of the future will be, you know, just as powerful VR headsets if not if not more because they'll have that already built-in capability, I think. I don't know if Yeah, I don't know. I wonder.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think it's like if you can do amazing AR, you can do amazing VR, right? Like it's it's you're going to pass amazing VR probably before you get to amazing AR. Um But yeah, I mean, I think uh I think that's totally possible. I think it's really exciting because, you know, once people get it, um get the AR headset because it provides like, you know, uh that utility that maybe they wouldn't necessarily get from VR, then you might start getting people like more interested in VR just because the capability is there. So, you know, if you think about it, it's like a lot of people probably wouldn't get a phone just to play games. But since people have phones on them all the time, then you know, getting a game and like you know playing that game is is something that kind of came second but like people really like now um and i think vr might be similar where it's like okay i got these air headsets because it's like great for navigating to a certain place or you know showing like information about you know things in the world that i need to know but then you know trying it out like oh well there's also these vr games so maybe i'm just going to try like I don't know, like Minesweeper in VR or something like that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then get addicted to you know VR entertainment and other things that they basically got for free because they got this device that they're using for some other purpose.
1: Yeah. So stepping back into your interaction designer shoes, like what are your what are your goals when you're like design or around design? Like, what are your are you maximizing for efficiency? Are you optimizing for like? you know engagement like you are you trying to are you, are you trying to get people more aware about a certain thing when you're like like what are yet yeah, like what are your goals like what do you want vr to do for people when you're when you're creating interaction designing designer type experiences sure i think you know
0: for me the the, the be all end all goal is to basically have the interactions be as natural as possible um there's going to be a lot of people coming to VR for the first time, and we need to make systems as designers that they can easily pick up uh, that make sense to them, uh, that don't require like weird gestures or like learning like button combinations. You know, I think uh, getting to the point where you can naturally just like you know buy a headset, put it on, and not have to like do any kind of onboarding. Uh, that to me is is the goal of uh, an interaction designer, um, if that makes any sense.
1: Mm. Um, just to zigzag around questions: What what would be the best experience that hasn't been created that you could go that you can tell yourself I would put on a hat to every day? <laughs> I would every day just to go experience that. Like, what what would that experience be? What would that? Uh, yeah.
0: Hmm. Honest. If you're saying that you're going to put on a headset every day, it's probably going to be related to work.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to uh, think. About I like it being realistic like that. Yeah,
0: yeah. What is there that I do every day? And it's like, well, I go to work. It's probably part of the human condition. So, you know, except for the weekends, obviously. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of a clear thing. Like, I don't know necessarily what else I do every day at uh, Netflix. So some kind of entertainment once it got really good to the point where I would rather watch something in headset because that's probably the only place where I can get that type of content. Then yeah, I might, I might put that on every day. Yeah. But like you were saying, they've got to, uh, you know, they've got to fix a number of things where, yeah, I, I watch Netflix cause I can sit on the couch and watch it with my girlfriend. But if I was just going to go into the headset and watch, like, some 360 movie by myself, um, I would probably be much less willing to do that.
1: Mm-hmm. Going back to VR and work, and I'm thinking about, like, have you put thought into how VR can improve productivity in the workplace? Like, um, yeah, like, I, like I, uh, I wonder, like, what, would, what will the, the next generation Google Docs? look like of 2025 (laughs) when it's volumetric in spatial computing like what are you optimizing for are we are you looking for more efficiency or more natural intuitive way of exploring um a better way to like create memory palaces or memory uh for people like what what are yeah how can how can vr or spatial computing improve um the productivity space
0: yeah i i think at like a, a general level um you know one of the things that you get from pr is basically just like a ton more real estate so instead of designing for something with boundaries um you can start designing outside of that i think you can also sort of like mix experiences better so um you know i, I might be able to uh you know, let's say, like, read a document on training and then maybe just jump directly into a training simulation. Um, Things like that, I feel like it's, like, all of a sudden you remove some of the friction that you may have had before where, you know, somebody might have to go from, like, a 2D form factor into a 3D form factor and then back as part of their job, I think, it'd become, like, way more seamless. So, you know, um, I'm thinking about, like when I was working at Halliburton, we had people that would have to go on site. You know, you get into a truck, you go somewhere, you run some analysis, you might use like a little handheld device to get information from something and, and, um, you know, provide some information, but it also required sort of walking around something and, and taking different readings and things like that. I think you could start to collapse all those things together into, you know, a single piece of software if, You know, the headset's light enough to, like, take out into the field, and then I can put it on, and I can use it for basically, like, all of those functions at the same time. Um, You know, I can also have somebody, you know, back at home base, like, over my shoulder telling me how to do things. And so I think, you know, productivity is probably going to come there where it's, like, all of a sudden it's not like you're making trade-offs between, like, you know, having a phone and the size of the screen that you can have there or, you know, some other sort of headset like uh, um, that you might need instead it just all sort of comes together into like one form factor
1: yeah what do you think is the ultimate or the best um, input for VR at this point or or in the future, like you know, we're talking about like these AR—the day when these AR headsets are ubiquitous. I wonder, like, what input would that have? Will it be fully gesture control? Will it have gloves? Will it have like um, bracelets, rings, controllers that you carry around in your pocket? Like, I wonder, like, what do you think is the the best input um, uh, options for for yeah, volumetric computing and yeah.
0: Yeah, I think it's uh, you know it's a great question. I think um, it kind of depends on when you're talking and how realistic. Um, but I think, like I was saying, for the goal of every designer is to have something be so natural that you don't need to worry that somebody has to like have a learning curve on how to use it. Mm. And I think the inputs that people are most used to is like their hands, their voice, like you know, interacting with things in the real world, site, stuff like that, um, those are going to be the best interfaces, I think. You know, we just have to make sure that they work well and have the kind of reliability that you have with something like a controller. Mm -hmm. So it has to be able to pick up those inputs quickly. It has to be able to, like, understand the intentionality that you're using. Um, And, and yeah, so it's got to be, I think, smart and reliable um but then again it's like yeah in the future people are just making strides every day so hopefully we'll see that level of input soon
1: yeah my hope is that someone will figure will crack the the most intuitive keyboard sort of for for vr because having a a doing yeah typing in keys typing in text is not easy No, no one's no one's really figured out the best way for me really yet i i think um and, and, and it's hard because it's like when you think about it like the keyboard itself is not intuitive like we we have to like learn how to use it you know so mm-hmm. so it's like so do we have to like come up with something not intuitive at first and then teach people how to use it so that they can like take advantage of it later on and be able to like type sixty words per, per minute on in VR i don't I don't know I, I don't know like it that's the thing that seems like because we all want like a natural solution but but if we look at the keyboard, the keyboard is far from natural, and we use it every day. It's yeah. It's hard. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I almost think that like the best solution to the keyboard is just get rid of it somehow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like people didn't have a keyboard for a really long time, and things seemed to work well. It was only that you know, for a long time, it was the best way to interact with um, you know a computer, and so I think you know moving forward and. If, Future, like my hope is that you start to rely less on like that type of text input, um, hopefully. And and what the, you know, what that is, I have no idea. But I did think it was really interesting. Did you ever read the uh, the Diamond Age by Neal Stephenson? No, no, I haven't. Um, Diamond Age was kind of uh, had an interesting concept, which was that. You know, certain classes of people in the future would like not even know how to read um, because they got all these sort of affordances from different you know, technology and devices in their home that meant that they didn't have to. Um, so you might have things that are like, you know, responsive icons that are just so good at conveying information at the right time that like you don't need to type anything, <laughs> stuff like that. You can already kind of see it happening with, like, um, you have a lot of different programs that will just, like, auto-complete, not just, like, a word that you're midway typing, but, like, semantically, like, what the next thing that you say, like, could be. Um, I think that's a great way to get around some of this, like, uh, reliance on typing. Hmm. So, we'll see. People are creative. They'll, They'll find a solution for that.
1: I think so. I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm confident we will. So when people ask you, Alex, I want to get into VR. I want to be in the VR industry. Like, what do I do? Well, what, how do I get started? Like, what do you say? How do you? Where do you point them? What direction do you point them in? And yeah, what's uh, what do those conversations look like?
0: You know, I think, um, I think VR is one of those things where it's small enough that you still have. Uh, enough community members that are like interested in bringing uh, new people on board and teaching them things. And there's great resources because I think the people that are into it right now are really excited and we haven't really reached that level of competition where people are like getting super secretive about like what they're doing. So, you know, I would tell people that are interested in getting into VR to go to meetups. I mean, at this point there's a meetup in every city Go there, talk to people, get a sense of, like, what people are working on, Um, listen to podcasts like this. And if somebody comes on that's interesting, you might be able to just reach out on Twitter and see uh, if you can make that connection. And I think if you follow that breadcrumb trail and, you know, you're a genuinely nice person that um, doesn't mind sort of uh, inserting yourself into conversations and and becoming active – then you're going to be involved in VR in no time.
1: Yeah, one one thing I always, I, I, at least one of the things that I tried, like as uh, when I when I said to myself, "Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna get involved," um, and I, and I'll post something, and I would be like, "All right, well, put yourself in the shoes of someone else and ask yourself, like, is this valuable? <laughs> like, you know, when you're if, if you're gonna post something, like um, like a lot of times I remember like uh, I would go through like a Reddit forum and it was it was a, a lot of like the same old like first person shooter youtuber kind of videos mm-hmm. that the let's plays and i'm and i think they're cool i think they're doing they're doing great work getting like a lot of kids wanting to try vr i like if it wasn't for those let's players who are doing like out those youtube videos like i don't think beat mm-hmm. saber would be where it is today cuz i remember one time totally. i went to a, I went to like a a birthday party and like there was I was demoing Beat Saber and all these high schoolers come up came up came out to me and told me they're like yeah you know I know about Beat Saber because I've been watching it on YouTube and like all my favorite YouTubers are playing Korean K-pop songs on Beat Saber. Mm-hmm. So uh-huh. it's, so it's this like so it seems like it's like this it's like it's like this um this perfect combination with Beat Saber is, was riding the popularity of K-pop um and had this like yeah, this like this like um, this viral effect really that just sort of just spread through in this like in the younger audiences and yeah and it was just and it just exploded and it, and it's weird because it's like how do you tap into that like how do you do that more in VR you know like does does it does it I have think, you know I was gonna
0: say you know like I think with Beat Saber. You know, one of the cool things that made it popular was like uh, they kind of built off of like existing models that people like might, might already understand. Mm. So you know, if you play like Guitar Hero, I kind of get like the music game. You know, Fruit Ninja, it's like okay, I kind of got that. And so it's like when you see these videos, it really just you know, there's enough of a foundation of understanding what the gameplay is like, and then there's the add-on where it's like, but what if I was in it? You know, and that's enough to, like, you know, bridge people so they can imagine, like, oh, hey, what if I was, like, surrounded by this amazing environment, and I was, like, really in the video game? But it's a video game that I kind of understand, and I think it's, like, a lot of VR experiences are really hard to translate to, you know, somebody who's never been in VR, but I think, you know, that's one of the ones where it's, like, okay, I watched this YouTube video, I get it, you know, I get what they're doing, but... You know, I'm excited about it because they're like in the game. So I don't know. I, I think that that might be part of uh, some of the success of that.
1: Yeah, there's yeah, there's so much. Yeah, there's so much uh, that so many factors that play into what makes something go viral. You know, and, mm-hmm. and it's so hard to like. Has Has Google has, does Does Google have any machine learning algorithms to figure out like how, what makes something go viral and then just like just make it into an app it'd be amazing you guys could like really like make a lot of money off of that because because i because i wonder if like if there what is it what are the behavioral triggers in a culture in in a in an online culture that create this viral sort of explosion i had and i speak from like a weird experience that i had yesterday Doing some community mm-hmm. work for um, for Symmetry, this this real time VR engine, we were giving out some Steam key giveaways to a bunch of people, right? And like, um, and 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 for the first couple weeks, it was like it, we had a nice like little drip, pa- like sort of like people that were really interested would come in and get a free Steam key for the engine, and then one mm-hmm. day, actually yesterday, between eleven thirty and eleven forty a.m., we had. 170 russians just invade our discord it was just like <sighs> and i remember my discord chant my my discord notification went ding 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 ding, ding 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 it just went wild it was wild and all of a sudden it felt like i had opened pandora's box and everyone was going like steam key give me steam key leaky yankee give me steam key steam key, <laughs> steam key, steam key. i'm like okay hold on guys hold on jesus holy crap hang on it just, it just, and it was like, and it was like, I felt like I was in the middle of a, of a, a rapids, a river, a river rapid, you know, just in this wave, and then, and then, and then, and then I, and then I freaked out ten minutes into it because had I kept that invite link open, who knows how many people would have rushed in, mm-hmm. uh, but it was like, but it was this weird rush, and it was so bizarre, and it all came from one tweet, and it was from a GIF that we shared. And, it, and i'm mm-hmm. trying to figure out like what was it about that one gif because we put out 15 gifs in the 15 days and that one gif created that cascade and so i'm like so it, and it's and, and and once you live that sort of stuff like it's crazy it's crazy mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it's hard to put your mind in like around wrap your mind around like how these things get triggered but
0: yeah i don't know if anyone necessarily has like really figured it out um I know people specialize in stuff like that, but I don't know how good their science has gotten or how good those agencies have gotten at actually figuring it out. So, um, I that's definitely above my pay grade, so... Uh,
1: <laughs> well, yeah. let me ask you this, uh, and I'm going to start bringing things down to a close. Um, sure. So one of the reasons why I, I, I do these this podcast is because I sort of see it as a time capsule. Um, you know, when I started five years ago, the first thing I, one of the questions I kept asking myself was like, man, what are people going to wonder? Like, what are they going to ask? What, what are they, they're going to question, like, in the future, they're going to question, like, what were they thinking, these early people in virtual reality? What was going through their minds? What were their motivations? What were their fears? And I think this podcast is a way to answer that. Um, because what's going to happen is you're going to get an email from me in the year 2038, 20 years from now. And nice. it's going to say, hey, Alex, this is the message from you to you in the future. <laughs> so right now I'm opening the floor to you to give, send yourself a message um, to, to the Alex in 2038. So mm. what would you say?
0: I would say maybe, uh, you know, approaching problems with pessimism and uh, skepticism has worked out because... VR and ar is doing great and i think you know a healthy amount of skepticism went into driving you to make the right decisions design wise awesome and
1: uh, <laughs> cool, cool no perfect how can people stay i can touch? put a little context on that
0: which is i think you know um there's like aspirational designers and then there's skeptical designers. I think, you know, part of my design process is always asking like, uh, you know, what's the negative review that we're going to get from TechCrunch, or what's like the worst, uh, user failure we can get from this problem. And I think if VR is going to succeed the way that I, I think we all want it to, um, it's going to require designers to play that role um, as much as it's going to require designers to be like, everyone's going to be on board. This is going to be great because it's going to be so fun. So that's the that's the that's probably the twist that sounds a little bit dark in my original message. But it's a message to myself, so it only has to make sense to me.
1: <laughs> yes, it does. No worries. They're good. <laughs> so uh, that being said, how can people stay in touch and follow all the things you're doing and that good stuff?
0: uh you know it's pretty sporadic i think the best place to watch that is my twitter which is at alex chu design um i have to get better at engaging with that most of the stuff that i do is just under wraps and um yeah but you know reach out friend me um you know chris can tell you it's like i respond to cold messages (laughs) Uh, because i'm really excited about the industry and like you know, you always ask about like how people can get involved. Well, this is a good way to get involved. Just like spam people you're interested in, and so yeah.
1: Mister Chu, I've conclusively concluded that you, sir, are a true scholar and gentleman of virtual reality. Um, yeah, this was <laughs> a great conversation. I can't wait to have you back. Um, this conversation, I'm gonna pu- publish it tomorrow, November 6. So if you're listening on November 6, get out and vote. Vote now. Don't wait. You can listen to this podcast on your way to the polling station. So vote. Vote. Please do it. (laughs) Yeah, I second that. (laughs) Um, If
0: you want to change the world, vote. Uh, And then after that, you can build the metaverse, I guess.
1: Yep. Yep. Awesome. All right, Alex, have a great night. I'll catch you later.
0: All right. Thanks a lot.